Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about fungicide. In our spotlight, we're going to look at some new GPS technology from Trimble. Ag History Minute, we're going to talk about the first seed treatment. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap it up with a GDU update. So with me today are Todd Schomburg. Hey to all Tilthies out there. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So sports are coming back. Yay. Baseball opening day, guys. Are you excited? Is today opening day? It yeah, is. is right. yeah. The Nats and the Yankees, I think. The Yankees. Yes. Yes. Go oh, Nats. It's hard to believe that the Nats are the returning World Series champ. Like, it feels like that was 10 years ago already. Yeah. You know? But I did see that the um, Bregman and Altuve both got hit on Monday night <laughs> in the exhibition really game. Yeah, oh, back to back. <laughs> just and it was it was pretty clearly intentional. So baseball players did not forget about the Astros cheating scandal. So that's good. That's good. The garbage cans were not forgotten. Yep. And the uh, yeah the, uh, the mic and uh, when Altuve's jersey. When you think about it, this might be best case scenario for them this year. Can you imagine what fans would be like on you right now? After that cheating scandal comes yeah. out, those cardboard yeah. cutouts yeah. in the background aren't going to be as. Remember, they were banning different signs that people yep. could write. Well, now they don't got to worry about that. So, can you imagine if one of these uh, teams that's piping in noise pipes in Astro like <laughs> anti-Astro propaganda into their fake crowd noise? It would be really funny if somebody like put a little catapult on a cardboard cutout and had them throwing <laughs> shit at them. Maybe. Are the Brewers selling cardboard cutouts? Yeah. How much? think 55 bucks that's doable so did did you do it no i think it was the yankees or one of those it was like 300 bucks for really it's like dang that's a lot yeah for just 50 bucks fans can upload an image and secure a euchre seat for the radio (laughs) cutout i i think we should put polinsky's face on (laughs) oh there we go i think we should all pull our money together and put polinsky's face on 30 of them (laughs) (laughs) just a whole section of them the entire like behind the bay behind home plate like it's just Polinsky's. <laughs> it's gonna be weird not it's watching not front number Amy. It's no. Polinsky. It's gonna be weird not seeing our favorite, uh, you know, uh, season ticket holders. Like I don't know about you guys, but I noticed there's a couple distinct people that every game they're there, and every I know who I'm gonna see in each yep. camera. There's angle. a couple that sits right by the visitors dugout. Every time you see a right-handed batter, they're in the background. I always see the same couple. There's a there's a. a Older gentleman, he's got gray hair and a big gray mustache, like a big, beautiful mustache. And I just, he's been there, I, I mean, since I started watching baseball or paying attention when I was 10 years old, he's been there. Did Marlins man pick a new team yet? Because, I mean, he's loaded, so he could probably afford a few cutouts. I think he bought cutouts in a lot of major league stadiums, is there what was, I, the rumor I heard. There was one thing I saw on Twitter where the, it was like a whole Marlins man behind. Nice. I don't know if it was fake or not. I assume it was fake, but it was like. 50 or 60 Marlins mans right behind Mar- Mar- Marlins men? <laughs> yes. But they couldn't do that in front of Romy Amy because it'd be too uh, distracting, I think, <laughs> yeah. for the players. It's true. Although Yelich kept striking out, and then he proceeded to hit a opposite field home run against the White Sox in their yeah. exhibition game last I heard so that He's good. I heard that in the uh, the blue and gold scrimmage. They're like, Yelich continues to struggle at the plate, and then in the, in the exhibition game with... Uh, with the socks, just goes apple like no big deal. Yeah. It's good so, to know. So Brewers start today at six ten versus Cubs. 
today is you're listening. Yes, you so, are. We are yeah, we so are recording yes. a day early. So it's Brewers Cubs. So it'll be uh, interesting. Should should be kind of cool to have opening day. So is it at Cubs at Wrigley? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. So we are recording the day of you opening mean day. Miller Park South. Miller Park, Miller Park South. South. Yeah. Or Wrigley North. No, Miller Park South. We own it. And Fam Field South. Yeah. Oh gosh! Oh, I forgot about That's that. Right. Yeah. Oh, name change next oh, year. Yeah. It's Miller Park to me. It always will be. It will always be Miller Park to me. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna have a hard time taking. Especially with it when you're the Brewers, Miller mm. Park was fitting. American Family Insurance Field just doesn't just doesn't have the same ring to it. It is better than Jake from State Farm Field, though. <laughs> I think I'd prefer that. That'd be funny. I would remember that. <laughs> You look hideous. <laughs> she sounds she hideous. sounds hideous. Well, he's a man. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, polo shirt and khakis. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny that they brought it back with a different guy. Right, different all Jake. they did was cha- like the the rest of the commercial is uh, exactly the same, and they just cut in a different Jake from State and, Farm. And he asked the original Jake, <laughs> "Do they usually ask you what you're wearing?" Yeah, it's good. Good stuff. We live in a reboot society now. We're doing rebooting commercials. Well, if you couldn't really film because of like social distancing and some of that kind of stuff, like it's pretty easy to dub one guy in rather than shoot a whole new commercial. Well, that was before all this, though. Like, was it Super Bowl? I don't remember anything. Like everything just blends (laughs) together. I can't remember anything before COVID. I I, there is a lot of days where I feel that way. It's just (laughs) kind of yep. I was alive. I know that. So, all right, you guys ready to go into it? I'm a pretty fun guy, so I'm pretty excited. Oh, you're waiting <laughs> for that, weren't you? Fun guy side. Yeah, I tend to grow on people. <laughs> oh. All right, and with that, bad. <coughs> bad. Moving on, please. <laughs> We've got tassels on corn, so is it time to pull the trigger on fungicide? What do you guys? What is your take on fungicides in general? We're really pushing. Pushing it on the BMRs, you yep. know, with it just being um, a, re- a less stress-hardy plant, um, almost a almost a no-brainer there to go ahead and, and get on the BMR. Um, some varieties, I was talking to a grower yesterday, we're going to hold off. Just has a little more disease package. Um, the Pioneer side of it seems to have a little more. No free disease. ads. No free ads. Just a... It's a fact. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree. BMR, it's still pretty, pretty good option there. Though the agronomics of the BMR have been getting better over the years, so definitely. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to a point where maybe it won't be quite as automatic when it comes to that. But noticing a lot more of our farmers, you know, it used to be always with the plane. You know, we'd always have to get the plane in here to have everybody coordinate you know tassel percentage and timing and everything and now it seems like more growers have better sprayers that they're doing it themselves so that i think that's helpful too we can target certain fields maybe fields that have been bad in the past maybe certain varieties we know that are more susceptible um so i think it's when do you pull the trigger bill when it's all the tassels got to be out or like this year where we have such uneven you know tasseling in the field do you do it when most of them are out or and what's too late do you think well we've been targeting 
full tassel to brown silks is kind of that window. And, right. And with the with the farmers that have their own spurs that can do that, obviously they can dial that in. But if you're waiting for an airplane to come, you know, that's not always as easy. Yeah, you're pretty subject to whatever the plane. Right. Oh, you know, even if you get the airplane there, but not everything's ready, they're not coming back usually. Usually. You, you, it's right. a one-shot one shot deal. I was digging through some of my notes, too. Um, getting ready for this, and I found a pest management update flyer from 2017 that was all on fungicide, and and it was it went through um, alfalfa and and soybeans, but the corn one, it specifically stated you know that we want to protect the silks, so you know we don't want to go too early that we don't have those silks there. That was my question too. Is yeah, is trying to decide would you rather be too early or too late if you had to pick one because it's always hard to be perfect on that timing, but. Probably Bo- both are hard because right. I don't want to be too late because then you missed it. If you're too early, and you're not protecting, and if you're too late, you might have missed the window already. So yeah, it's it's just a tough part that way of deciding. I uh, I was hemming and hawing last week about making this decision on on getting some fungicide on some BMR, and another consultant said to me, you know, I was conflicted about okay well some of these acres are a little bit further ahead and a little bit further behind but we have the airplane coming in we're going to do one thing and he he pointed out to me he said your best bet is probably to protect the good corn so that corn that's only four feet tall that's nowhere near tassel because it drowned out was compacted whatever he goes you can't you can't shoot the whole thing in the foot for those acres because that stuff isn't going to that's not going to be your money maker anyway so protect protect what you have that's already in a good place and go from there and I think that was a big that was a big thought that I kind of portrayed to some of the farmers this year, just especially because we had a lot of slow, um, late tasseling corn here. I would also say this window isn't like the wheat fungicide window where we have you know four days probably is yeah. the wheat window four hours. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> four minutes. You really want that one to be on pretty precisely. Where corn, that's yeah, that's which is a good thing. We got a large window. You can be a little bit more patient, a little bit more, you know, deliberate on, okay, this is when it's ready. Okay, just in the next seven days is kind of any time or even 10 days sometimes. I think the other thing to consider, too, is if you're going to spray silage corn, obviously silage corn were taken off way before grain corn. So you have less days for it to be out there and controlling. So maybe you want to be on the early side. I agree that with silking. that with, with yeah. silage corn. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. I agree with that yep. is on the grain corn, go up to the R2, which is sort of brown silks. You want it, you know, to kind of last you a lot longer into the fall. Whereas silage, I mean, from tassel, we're 45 days to harvest. So yeah, I'd rather be on right away right. and yeah, kind of utilize that, end. that full, you know, the sort of be able to use the full part of the fungicide. Here, so hearing you say that, we're 45 days from harvest made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Like we're that close and man, it went quick. Last year we were 45 days after planting right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Were were we even that far? I I mean, it was crazy. We're playing. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of planters going on 4th of July last year still. Yeah. It was about a month away from some of my plantings last year. But no, it, it feels good. I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm already thinking about soil sampling. So that's good. I think scouting, too, comes into this decision, too. If you're starting to see something, fungicide is not a curative. It's not going to take away the disease that's already there. So if you're already seeing disease and you want to prevent the spread, that helps make that decision a little bit, too. 
and as we've talked about before, there's lots of outlets to see kind of like the risk maps and things like that. I know I get emails a couple times a week of a certain company's risk map. Obviously, obviously they do want to sell fungicide, so take that with a grain of salt. But if you can take eight eight different risk maps and scout and talk to people, I mean, you get a pretty good base of knowledge on on making that decision. I think the hardest decision I have, guys, is what to do with non-BMR corn, just the regular, you know, whether it's grain corn or whether it's normal silage corn. Because some years we get northern leaf, corn leaf blight to come in and just boom. But that's not every year, right? Right. And um, last year I had a grower spray, just the co-op had some extra products, so like, here, try it. And he he did it on grain corn, and we had a relatively, I mean, it was wet late, but during pollination I think we had a relatively dry and um, he saw like 10 to 15 bushel increase on his grain corn last year. So they're doing more this year. And is it going to pay like it did last year? We don't know, but you don't know if you don't do it. And it's just this chicken and egg thing. And Right. It's, it's like insurance. You're, yeah. you're paying for yeah. the insurance. You're hoping that you don't have to use it. <clears throat> but if you needed it, well, then it was great, great that you had it. So Don't you think that decision started last fall when you picked varieties and varieties yeah. yep. selection? and? Yep. You know, hopefully taking good notes at that time and, okay, we're picking, you know, these five varieties and the fifth one yields really well, but its setbacks are, it's not as good on this disease. Well, let's do a fungicide there or let, you know, just all of that does go back to to some crop rotation, variety selection, it's, you know, other decisions that you've made. It's almost like you're saying IPM is important, Todd. It, it is, <laughs> yes. Like viewing this as a yes. system is a big deal. What? And scouting, like you said, Matt, too. If you see some disease out there now, well, there's a good chance that's going to get worse. So hardest this year for me is trying to find where we spun on urea and there's a little bit of nitrogen burn yep. is some of that. And I've had diseases come in on the nitrogen burn, but is it nitrogen burn? Is it the start of the disease? Um, and in general, I would say the leaves are actually fairly clean this year of disease so far that they're, yeah, that they're staying. It's just a very general statement. I think compared to last year, too, we had more timely applications where the growth stages of the corn was better. We were running less down and harming less mechanically. Where last year, you know, we were making passes that were less than ideal and it seemed to harm a lot more corn and leave a lot more uh, open wounds for, for disease pressure. Every time you drive through that field, you're running something over and, and making yeah. potential for disease. And when you're putting in two-foot ruts, you're moving off those yeah. every time, so every pass is its own. Yep. Where this year, for the most part, we stayed. We were able to stay on the same tracks all summer and make those passes, you know, stay in the same spot. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a better year this year for it. All right, before we move into soybeans, I got one more thing I want to ask you guys about. Corn fungicide. Do you guys have anybody doubling up? So the last few years, there's been that trend to apply fungicide early around that V6, V8 stage. And if you have a farm doing that, are they doing it at a tassel too, or are they just relying on that early season fungicide? Yes and no and yes and no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're all doing a little bit different. Yeah, we do have a couple. I have a couple growers, again, on the BMR where we're going across with a roundup pass at V whatever seven, six, whatever that number is. And we're putting in something at that point, And then we're coming back at tassel. Um, a lot of times it could be fields that are corn on corn maybe. Or like you were saying, Max, with 
you know, maybe it's corn that had a lot of manure, so it's robust plants, protect your best plants, that kind of thing. Um, so that's where we're kind of focusing in is corn on corn and, again, the BMR, that, that bugaboo of that. With all of our dairies, they're finding the, you know, that's what they're feeding because it's making more milk. The, the V8 timing is an interesting one because it, it typically runs out too early. I mean, it always right. runs out too early because it's on there very early. So to do it just at that timing has been difficult. So to me, if you're going to do that one, you almost do have to do it again late um, or just the late timing. Um, but I, also the other caveat is on corn silage, though, is like we just said, is at the tassel time, you know, we're going to be harvesting in 45 days. And it just has a, such a short amount on there that it makes that early timing at V8 a lot more intriguing as well because you just it's on there the whole season. It can hold you better, but it just it's been a tough. T- it depends when the diseases come in. So yep. sometimes both is good. Sometimes you know just late or just early is good. And knowing how hot and humid we were early, that V8 timing probably could have been good this year. Um, we're, you know, we're starting to be a, um, a little different now, but we're still humid, maybe not as hot. So I still think we're going to have diseases later. And at V8, you still have a lot of airflow through the canopy. Yep. So, and not as much leaf mass. So in one way too, you're not necessarily wasting the product as much, but it's just hard to get as much on the plant. And like I said, that time too, you got more airflow. Whereas at Tassel now, I mean, it when you walk in that core now, it's shaded, but um, so it's not as hot down in there, but it's humid and it's mm-hmm. sticky. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, I think and that it, early timing is just more attractive because if you have your own sprayer, you can do it without running down corn. It's it's cheaper in general because you're not hiring an airplane to come in and do it. And for some guys, an airplane is not even an option depending on field size and some other things. Power Number lines. Number acres, power lines, yep. So. I do have a couple of fields that were blacklisted because of converging sets of power lines. So we have to move, we have to move the power lines. You have to move the power lines. We have to move the power lines. No, we have to move the corn we plant in those fields so that we don't have to worry about that. Sure. And I think um, the other thing too, Matt, with that early one is some guys are going across anyway. Right, you're already making a pass. Roundup so or whatever the... herbicide. One thing point I'll point out about corn before we go to um, soybeans is back to that pest management meeting. They also brought up that strobulurin. Uh, fungicides spraying at tassel, uh, excuse me, at silking, which is same time as tassel, but at silking can actually spike vomitoxin. And I'm sure all of you guys have sat in grower meetings or just talked with growers about how their feed is high in vomitoxin. And then they always ask us, like, did you see it in the field? And you're like, well, I didn't see, you know, you, you don't see, see anything it. in a field. Right. And all of a sudden the toxins are bad. A lot of that has to do with harvest moisture. If we harvest it too dry, we get spikes and things like that. But the one thing UW brought up was um, trying to stay away from strobilurin fungicides because that can spike vomitoxin. Which would be some of our old chemistry of just straight headline quadris, um, those type of approach, um, those type of fungicides. So, you know, that's why we're going more to the uh, headline amps, the Delaros. Um, the the mixture, the multiple modes of action. Right. It style. does seem like a lot of the new mixtures have them in it, but they, they're not straight up that. They have, yep. you know, three different modes of action. Uh, the one that UW brought up this again back in 17 was Proline. That was what they they matched um, Quilt and Proline, and 
quilt was significantly different. And quilt would have quadris in it yeah, and tilt, yeah. so you got a two molds of yeah. action there. That like so the said, quilt was the one that spiked it, and the pro line was the one that did not. So, um, but anyway, that was something to consider when you're going in that silk time frame is multiple modes of action again to to prevent any mo- you know vomit toxin that could come. Yeah, and that helps prevent resistance to having the multiple yeah. modes of action, just rotating them through or using different modes. Fungicide is is like weeds; it will eventually to- become tolerant. So, yep. if we can stay ahead of that, now that you have all seen how the weeds reacted, let's let's not add fungicide to the list of things that keep us up at night. Yeah, exactly. another thing too that just quickly because I know we want to move on is they were we were talking about that protecting silks, and I wonder if those undercover applications that these guys have gone to with the sprayers versus an airplane where they're directing that, that nozzles down in the canopy that maybe we're getting more coverage on that silk. So maybe watch that when you're out spraying this year of trying to get that silks covered as best you can. Sure. Makes sense. All right. So let's hit up on soybeans a little bit. So we've got flowers on soybeans. Uh, does it, does it really pay to hit them if you've got white mold issues potentially? And there's always the question of one application or two. A lot of fungicides, when it comes to soybeans, it's recommended two separate applications. So extra cost, extra time in the field. So what do you guys think on that? This is also a tough one of we got to decide it before we see white mold in the field typically. And we'll scout for, for white mold in the... Alopecia? Do I say it? No, alopecia is not right. No, alopecia is when you can't <laughs> grow hair. That's the app. Yeah, your, <laughs> oh, yeah. your hair is missing. Uh, you have that problem too, Dad. Your sclerotonia. Scler- scler- yes, thank yeah, you. And the, yeah, sclerosha. So, so if the, you know, we look for the fruiting bodies that produce this white mold. So the fruiting we're, body. We're trying to scout for it as best you can, but it is a tough one because you really got to look at the history of the field, and again, varietal selection. Which varieties aren't good at white mold? Uh, which ones are, but really field history is a huge one. If if you had white mold on it two years ago when it was beans, you're probably going to get it again. So it's just knowing that and then planning ahead of that. Um, and the the when they're flowered and when to hit them, it's, you can do it at R1 and R3 or just either or. And it seems like um, depending on the fungicide you use and what you do, if, if you don't do both and you have a really – bad field with white mold you you got to do both if we just kind of got a moderate amount of white mold um i still prefer r3 just because i feel like there's more plant there and you're you're holding stuff but you still could have some white mold come in uh you know you talked about rotation and having the right the right uh gene packages uh i think another big one is row spacing that we're seeing a pretty pretty big difference on some farms i'm not saying we're eliminating white mold by changing our row spacing but we're definitely seeing a, a, a light response it seems like and on the farms with catastrophic white mold problems i'll take any little victory i can yep. well like todd mentioned earlier with corn the airflow you know if you're doing 30 inch you know the wider your row the more time you have with airflow less potential weed canopy you know reduction but at the same time, you're holding off that disease by having the airflow and keeping the canopy open a little bit longer. So, my my biggest problem fields though are still 30 inch rows, but heavily manured. Yep, right there. Yeah. And those beans just get chest high, and the canopy so early, it's just this massive, beautiful plant. And you think, oh my god, we're finally going to get 70 bushel, and then by the end of August, 
yeah, we're down to 20, you know, just because that white mold comes on and just kicks your butt. You I, t- I told the grower this week, he was talking about fungicide price and, and things like that. He says, you know, what do I have to do to not have to do this? You know, I have white mold. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to spend the money. And I said, stop growing nice beans. That would be the, that would be the first thing. <laughs> Start growing beans that only think, get six inches tall. Well, you're right, Matt, Max. Remember last year we got beans planted so late, white mold wasn't a big problem because no. they were short and didn't bush out. Well, we and, never we never canopied beans last year. Right. This year it's going to be a different story. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, sometimes becomes the trade-off of weed control versus white mold. Yeah, embrace the bait. Would you rather have drilled beans so it holds back water hemp or... Corn planter beans in 30 inch, so you get less white mold. So it's like pick your poison that way too of no water hemp or certain, no white mold. Certain farms, I'm actually going to take the water hemp because yeah. the white mold is so bad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would agree. I would take the water hemp in some places and try and fight it with chemistry. Wow, bold choice. That's bold strategy. That might be short sighted, you know, because five years down the road, the water hemp might be so bad that. It's going to overtake the... In five years, we'll take the white mold. Then again, we'll switch it around. Switch, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you can have so, some water hemp and it's not catastrophic to yield. You can have absolute disaster on beautiful on beans mold. with white yeah. mold. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's it's quick. You're like, oh, I see one wilted plant out there. And two weeks later, you, you, you're, you're walking that field again and 50% of the field seems to be wilting and fuzzy stemmed. You know, it goes quick. So... Yeah. So UW came out with an app that can help predict your risk when it comes to white mold, and that's Sporecaster. I think we've all used Sporecaster to some extent. So I've actually had some fields UW has used to calibrate their Sporecaster. Oh, yeah. Yep. Look at yeah. you, Mr. Fancy I Pants. know. I know. That's what happens when you ask those people those questions they <laughs> that's what happens when you have catastrophic white mold they, right they come back to you and say hey can i look at that field and i'm like here you go this is the worst one i got please do please help us but it, it is a great app you set up your fields in it and you can refresh it every day to see and it'll kind of just put it in a low medium or high risk categories um, last year it was anything over a score of 40 was sort of high risk and now they brought that down to 30 after they've been calibrating it more so it's it's been a great tool that way because I've got certain fields or certain farms, and I would say the majority of mine are lower, medium risk, but I've got a few that have been popping in the high risk, you know, regularly for the last two weeks. And so those, you know, we'll see this fall, but obviously have a higher chance of having white mold. So you take, you know, variety selection, and then now that we have these really neat tools to sort of help us forecast stuff, uh, we can use those two to try to decide if we should put fungicide on or not. What's really interesting or cool to see is when you're you're refreshing that um you're refreshing that app and you see, you know, yesterday we were low risk, overnight we got some rain and now it's supposed to be 90 degrees the next 4 days and it goes from low risk to high risk just like overnight because the the conditions change so drastically so quickly. So I always thought that was cool that they it really is dialed into that that you know environmental change. Okay, here we go. This completely changes our outlook. I'm hopeful this year that because we've had more sun than we had last year and hotter temperatures that that canopy has dried out a lot faster. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. There's our look at corn and beans, and we touched on wheat just a little bit. Uh, 
So if you have potential disease issues, especially white mold and beans, or um, you're seeing yourself as having a higher risk because of BMR corn, fungicide can be a good option for you. And timing is a big key to that. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. Today we're going to look at the Trimble Centerpoint RTX. So it provides sub-inch performance in an easy-to-use subscription service. So they are launching a new, instead of RTK, we have RTX. And so this is a little bit different than RTK because of the radio component to RTK. So you can have range issues with that. And so in... Looking at having consistent, repeatable corrections for our egg industry as we move into more autonomous things. You know, we, we started with auto steer and some of that stuff, light bars, and now we're, we're getting to the point where uh, we're automating part of harvest with, you know, dump carts and some of this stuff. And they want to have the most advanced available GPS. And so this is just another way of getting that accuracy. And I'm not totally following. So is it, it's a like internet signal or? Nope, it's glo- it, so it's, it's coming right from the satellite. So Okay. It, so it so gives us more range. Yeah, the, we don't need that base station. We got to carry around all over the place. Right. Gotcha. So it's, it's yeah, the Coors network, not the Coors light network. The, <laughs> so which it's, is good it's network. like the Coors network, but that's a radio signal. Right. So this and then is, this comes right from a satellite. Yeah, GNSS, the Global Navigation Satellite System. So they receive the receivers send information to RTX Control Center. Information is used to create the data stream, which is then broadcast over satellite to the farmer's field. And then they can also um, opt to use a cellular connection if he's in a service area. So it's primarily satellite, but with the cellular option. Yeah, so just another way of getting more accurate GPS. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Today we're going to talk about the first chemical fungicide seed treatment. So Isaac Benedict Prevost discovered the first chemical means for controlling disease in a practical way in 1807. Bunts and smuts, so fungi in cereals I, yeah bunts I, I thought that was kind of funny smut we, we see a lot in corn has had been a key limitation to cereal cultivation for centuries appearing unexpectedly unhealthy looking plants that should have been producing grain provost was the first to observe the spores which grew into tiny germinating plants which caused wheat bunt he then made the serendipitous observation that a weak copper solution generated when he held the spore suspension in a copper vessel, prevented growth. Through experimentation, he demonstrated that farmers could control bunt by wetting wheat kernels with a copper sulfate solution. Previous methods of bunt control required steeping the seeds in salt water and lime or putrefied urine, Mm. which were not very effective. (laughs) Copper-based seed treatments remained popular in some countries, including France, through the end of the 20th century. So there you go. 1807, we were doing seed Copper treatment. Copper sulfate. 
Yep, and he's still around today. Still, I was gonna say we still dust the pumpkins with copper. Do you trying to? Yeah, keep them. Keep the uh, the uh, keep all sort. I really keep all sorts of stuff. It just depends on the year what we're keeping off that year. But yeah, how the pumpkins look? Good. They need to be dusted though. <laughs> get to it. Gotta get that copper out there. Maybe maybe you should just put the uh, what is it the copper fit band over the top Ooh, of the pumpkin. I was just gonna start throwing pennies out there. <laughs> You're gonna use petrified urine. Putrified, putrified, yes. Petrified urine would be a different, like fo- would be fossilized fossil, urine. Yeah, it'd be like hard somehow, a hard liquid. Oh. All right, Todd, tell us about NAICC. Yes, please. If you like what you're hearing and you want to hire an independent crop consultant, go to naicc.org, and there you can find a crop consultant in your area. Please subscribe to our podcast uh, and rate it if you'd like as well. Um, But just hit the subscribe button and then also show another farmer what a podcast is. Show him how to use his player on his phone and what it is and show him other ones you maybe like and maybe put ours in there too. So that's all we ask is please show him, you know, what a podcast is and, and how he can learn on the go and in his tractor cab. So, Matt, where do they find us and how can they like us? Well, you can find us on iTunes and most available podcast players, not all, but most, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. All right, let's do our current events with Cool Beans, or that's corny, so Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. All right, in direct reference to last week's episode, we have a Cool Beans of Burger King Ditches TV ad asks leading extension scientist for help. The king listens to TTR. <laughs> is, this so, the, is this the first time? It's not the first we converted. We've had other where we, we've been that corny. It was and, corny last week and uh, it's cool We've this had week. cool beans turn into a that's corny as well. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, so we're going in the right direction this yes. week. So Burger King angered a lot of animal agriculture last week when it released the commercial that we talked about where you should now be feeding your cows lemongrass to reduce their cow farts and they, this particular extension scientist that they reference uh, went on a Twitter rampage against them and said it's not cow farts, it's actually belching that causes oh. an issue and beef production in the US contributes to only 3% of all greenhouse gases he said. As compared to as compared to fossil fuel use, which is eighty percent of greenhouse gas in the environment, so uh, Burger King then pulled the ad, contacted this scientist, whose name I don't even know. I could, it's Frank is the easy <laughs> part. Mitlaner from UC Davis. He's an air quality extension specialist in the Department of Animal Science, and so they went to him and he discussed. He also said that the amount of lemongrass that they were going to feed in the diet probably wouldn't actually make a difference either. Yeah, it was like 90 grams. I remember thinking 100 like... 100 grams. 100, I yeah, yeah, okay. I just remember yeah. thinking the amount too, like, uh, that's that'd be like if you put a drop of something in our food. Yeah, just, just a spoonful of sugar yeah, helps the medicine go down. Go down. Yeah. Just a spoonful of lemongrass helps the methane go down. That's not how it works. So glad to see Burger King listening and, you know, instead of spreading half-truth or even not even half-truths when it comes to... So I can go back and get my Whopper now. 
Yeah, the Walker boycott Jr. is over. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they'll continue to go in this direction and realize they need to listen to people who are experts in the field. My Chipotle, but my Chipotle oh. one is not. That's still yep. in full swing. But. but but for the listeners, Bill's long, the long national nightmare of Bill's lack of whoppers is now over. <laughs> it's over. It We're over. headed there right after we record this. We're going to get a whopper. Bill's going to start standing up straight again. You know, he's going to be able to function as yep. a human. Seven days without a whopper. He's been drooling. He's yeah. been. Going through the DTs, just shaking. It's, it's been I don't go to Burger King that much, just by the way. <laughs> sure you don't, Bill. <laughs> All right, and our that's corny for this week. We should get a wah, wah, wah for this. You did a good job, though, there, man. <clears throat> yeah, that was good. I, I don't know if I can top that next week, though. Is a potential pro- propane shortage for this fall. So, as with many things, well, not entirely... Because of COVID, it's played a big part. So since there's less people traveling, means less refining of crude oil, which means less propane being made. And so they're anticipating a potential shortfall this year. Last year we had shortfall as well. Um, it led to emergency declarations across nine states in the Midwest. That was more, you know, we had more to dry because of the late planting and everything. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this year with earlier plantings you don't need as much propane but you may want to start contracting now in the fall i'm starting to see a pattern here where like at least once a year if not twice we hear about how there's going to be a propane shortage and i'm starting to just think it might not saying entirely it's a propane there might be some marketing going on here (laughs) i got my tinfoil hat on this morning and i'm just saying i'm not i'm not saying but i'm just saying i'm seeing some things well this this was I chose this one over the other option was the USDA doing their beef industry audit and finding there was no wrongdoing, despite the fact that... Oh, yeah, not true. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> the, All right, yeah, good pick, man. As long as we're on our, our tinfoil hat thing, I'll just bring up that one, too. So, it's a, yeah. A double corny for the week. Double corny. Double it, corn. It's also odd because the, just this morning, I was talk, or we were talking about how we need to fill the propane yeah, tanks. Like, is, literally, this morning, on the, way, on the way here, this morning, we talked about it. This is the time of year I always decide if I'm going to prepay for mine or we're going to let it ride, so... It's like gambling, but with your home's heat. <laughs> yep, and then what's going to happen, Bill, is you're going you're gonna to lock it in now, and then in like two months, the price is just going to tank, and you're going to sit there and be like, no. You should, actually, I ignore it. After, you, I, you after I lock it in, you stop I ignore looking. it. Don't, yes. even look. don't even look. You're like, you, what, what always bothered me or what I always thought was funny, I guess for my dad, I remember him locking in in like July, and then the propane company would call in September and be like, uh, propane is at an all-time low. Get yours now. And he'd be like, I, d- well, I already did it in July. Don't call and rub it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we'll finish up with our GDU update. <laughs> <laughs> you got her back. All right. So in Cribbits, to start up in the Northwoods, to date they are at 1,157 GDUs. Normal's about 1,093, so they are 64. They are rolling. Above. Yeah. They better get the irrigators going out there. Hopefully not rolling. That many dirty. GDUs ahead. <laughs> Next 14 days forecast is for 1,451. Seymour, where we are located right now. Speaking to you somewhat live. 
recording live. We are looking live. From the Tilthagronomy World Headquarters. <laughs> you are looking live. In Tilth Egg in, Studios. In the Tilth Egg and what else? Schomburg Enterprises Studios. <laughs> no, there's no no uh, commingling. No, no commingling? Okay. All right. So we are to date at 1,273. Normal for this time of year is 1,212. We are 61 GDUs above normal. <laughs> We did it. And Woo. the next 14-day forecast is to get up to 1,583. So despite the weather cooling off slightly, um, we have seen our, still, our lead on GDUs is still there. Just wait till Saturday. Yeah. Hot and sticky again. And then Sun Prairie is at 1,327 GDUs. Normal's about 1,307, so they're 20 above normal. And their next 14 days, they're predicted to get up to 1,643. I've heard I've heard the comment a couple times from um, people now that the corn across the state of Wisconsin, for a large majority of it, looks very similar. Like, it doesn't look like... You, normally, when you're down by Sun Prairie and you come up here, it's a different world. And people are saying, no, it's, it's tasseling basically at the same time. Like, it yeah. looks similar. And when you look at the GDUs, you know, us being ahead of where we normally are by quite a bit and them only being ahead by a little bit, like you can understand why it's leveling out, why it's staying similar. So enough yeah, that's planting date too that we were all planting about the same time. So yep, we, we were able to we were able to get about that same amount of GDU, you know, we're but even that are the 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 maturity ranges or wait are different. Are yes. so different. So I mean sure. for us to Good have point. so they're planting a hundred and five yeah. day and versus a ninety five day and we're only 60 GDUs different. Yep. Well, and so, what played into that somewhat, too, is we were cold to begin with. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so it didn't do much. It Every, didn't matter everybody if you planted at the end of April yeah. or the 5th of May. It was just kind of sitting there. It, none of it got GDUs until June 1st, so <laughs> didn't really matter. All right. All right. So that'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Thanks Matt. for having us. So we talked about fungicides and timing and when to do it for corn soybeans. In our spotlight, we looked at the Trimble RTX system. <clears throat> Egg History Minute, we talked about the first fungicide seed treatment. In our cool beans, that's corny, we talked about the Burger King ad being pulled after finding out they were spreading misinformation. And or that's corny. It was a potential propane shortage for this fall. Then we have wrapped it up with our GDU update. So... Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.